Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Welcome to Daytona, Biketoberfest. I hope you're having a great weekend. <laughs> I even saw some pulling on bikes today. It's, it's interesting, always interesting as we um, enjoy the different things that take place in our city. But it's good to see you today, and I just want to remind you as we, we um, kind of go into the Word of God today that um, October is not just Biketoberfest, but it's Pastor Appreciation Month. And so um, I just would ask Michael and Melissa and Brooke and Jordan and all our other team, just stand, just give them a, a warm welcome, a warm love. Appreciate these guys so much. <laughs> The greatest thing you can do for your pastors is um, pray for them. And I tell you, I pray for Pastor Michael all the time because I, I have a first row seat and I've sat in the seat. And it's a, it's a, a very daunting position, but I know he carries it with the sacred trust and gifting and anointing of the Lord. And so, so grateful for Pastor Michael and uh, all that he has brought to our ministry. Last week, he, he shared... If you remember, he brought out a mirror, and uh, in that mirror, he talked about how a mirror cannot create the reflection. It can only show the reflection. And uh, for the last probably two months, I have been sitting in some study of, a, of some things, and, and it really brought it home. And I, I want to build off of what he, he shared, in that a mirror can only reflect and the mirror that we are to be is to reflect the, the love of Jesus Christ. We reflect the image of Jesus in our life. And as I, I begin to consider, it's like, really, what the, the word the Lord had given me today, I think, are the handles for that. Now, there's, there's more. But I believe that the, the, the two things that I want to share with you today can really, if we take hold of them, will help us to reflect the image of of Jesus. Now, we know we have to be in the presence of Jesus if we want to reflect his image. But here's the thing, and as he said last week, is that image becomes distorted, first of all, because it has to flow through these earthly vessels that we live in. And we live in this world, and it's, it's messy, it's dirty, it's hard. And so we can begin to reflect the things that are in our life that are not necessarily what God would have us to reflect. We all deal with that. And so it's, it's, it's so important that we understand how to reflect the image of Jesus. And so first and foremost, we have to be in his presence. We have to sit with him regularly. We have to be with him if we, if we want to reflect his image. I want to give you two things today, two words that if you take them and apply them, you will reflect the image of Jesus. The first one is where I'm going to spend so much of my time today because it is, quite honestly, the one that is in great need in our world today, and that is the word truth. The word truth. 
As Christ followers, we must reflect his truth. So I want to give you a little pop quiz this morning, all right? Now it's easy. It's only two questions, and they're true and false. So you have a 50% chance of failing. You have a 50% chance of failing. Because if you only get one right, you still fail. But there's two questions I have for you, all right? You got to get them both right to pass. The first one is, can you fly from one coast, the east coast, to the west coast in less than a day on a commercial airline? Those of you who think that's true, play, play along with me. Make me feel like you're paying attention. How many of you think that's false? You can. How about this one? The internet is both good and bad. True? False? Well, if you said true on both of those, you passed the pop quiz this morning. Because we know these things to be true. And if you didn't know them to be true, I went on the internet and it said it was true. So we know it's true. Now, if we were to have asked the first question a hundred years ago, can you fly from one coast to the other in a day, the answer would not have been true. It would have been false. Now, if you know much history, the, the Wright brothers created the flying machine in the early 1900s. But had we asked that question to a generation or two ago, they would have said, absolutely false. Had I asked the question about the internet being both good and bad, before January 1st of 1983, that's the birthday of the internet. Who knew? I didn't, I was a few, way, way behind that. But had that question had been asked in 1982, to me, I would have said, internet? I have a landing net, I have a cast net. I have these, what's an what's internet? What do you do with the internet? I have no idea what you're talking about. And so the answer would have been, I don't even know what you're talking about when you talk about the internet. Now this is what we're dealing with in our world today when it comes to truth. Our world sees truth through their lens of what they believe and what they know in this moment. And that's why we have a world that is so confused, a world that is so really messed up because we do not know what truth is. We don't understand what truth is. So if I was to give you some statistics, and I'm going to this morning, I think they will boggle your mind and blow your mind and burden your heart when it comes to truth and, the, and God followers or Christians or evangelicals. So when it comes to what we believe, 30% of evangelicals believe that Jesus was a great teacher but wasn't God. Evangelicals, those are defined as people who, who believe in God and, and, and he's part of their life. 30%, three out of every 10 people don't even believe that he is God, just a good teacher. Well, if you have that truth, you have a distorted truth. You can't accurately reflect the image of God. 69% of churchgoers believe that everyone will go to heaven. Almost seven out of every 10 churchgoers believe that no matter what, everybody gets to go to heaven.
I don't want to pick on millennials, but the survey did. 59% of millennials believe that pornography is morally acceptable. What is truth? 51% of Americans say the Bible was written, written for each person to imp- interpret as he or she wants to. Do you understand why we are in the place that we are in today in the country of America? Do you understand why the church is losing ground? It's because we do not reflect the image of Jesus Christ when it comes to the truth of who He is. If you are going to reflect the image of Jesus Christ, then you must know the truth. And the truth is this simple. That if you do not believe that the Bible is the infallible or authoritative Word of God, then you have nothing to build your truth on except what you believe. You can shape it however you want to fit your agenda. But when we hold the Bible to be true, to be the infallible, the authoritative Word of God, not to be added to, not to be taken away, that sets the foundation for the truth in our lives, which we then must reflect to a world who is constantly changing whatever the truth is to fit whatever it is that they would want it to be. You see, there's a big difference between what we believe to be true and what is true. We believe today that what is true is that we can fly across this country. In fact, you can do it in five hours if you get a nonstop flight. You can fly across this country, and we know that to be true, but we believe that because it's what we know, but years ago it wasn't true. And so what can we base truth on? We have to base truth on the fact that Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Do you understand how critical this theology is to us today? That if we do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the one who gives life, then we are building our life on truths that will change and that will crumble and will not serve us for eternal purposes. I want to spend a lot of time here today because I think it's such a big issue. And so when we read John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was what? The Bible, the Word. The Bible is God's gift to us in written form about who He is and what we need in our life. It's the Bible. And it goes all the way back to what? The beginning. The very beginning. And so as we live in this world, there are things that are true today that are not true, that were not true yesterday, and there will be things that are true tomorrow that are not true today. And so what is truth? Well, in the beginning was God's Word. And His Word was sent to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, so we could have that Word in the flesh. And in that Word, we have truth. And it goes all the way back. 
Jesus, God said, I am the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so when we build our, our life around the truth of God, we don't have to worry about the, the, the world today and what it would believe is true or isn't true. We walk in the truth of who God is, and you got to know the truth. The difference between belief and truth, because there's a big difference. Truth is pervasive of all conditions. doesn't depend on them. It is a fact or a statement that's true in all respects. It's absolute. You can't change it. You can't put your narrative to it. But you have to understand it. So here's what I've learned about truth. It's a lot like a nut. If I have a nut, anybody know what kind of nut this is? Any smarter people than I? Pecan. I'm glad you said pecan too. Some people say pecan, we say pecan here. Pecan has a different meaning, just saying. That wasn't necessary. <laughs> it doesn't look much like a pecan. Yesterday I was trimming a pecan tree because it was covering up a sign on one of my properties and was actually obstructing the view onto the road. So as I was cutting it, I began to realize, oh my, the squirrels haven't found the pecans yet because I never get any pecans off this tree because I'm not fast enough. And so I loaded up the back of my truck and when I got it home, I throwing the, the limbs in, in the, where I'll eventually burn them, and I started pulling all the pecans off the tree. And I didn't know this about pecans. I learned something yesterday. I always, the couple times that we have, and we lived in North Carolina, there were pecan trees everywhere. We would, there was one time we stopped at, off the main road, and we just went under a pecan tree, and we picked up all the pecans that we wanted. Well, isn't that cool? Well, pecans are actually in a husk. And when the husk dries out, it begins to crack. And inside the husk, well, there it is. The pecan nut. I was shocked yesterday that my daughter, Brooke, and Jordan, my son-in-law, wonderful as they are, had never seen a pecan nut. I said, oh, that's, that's you know, pecans are, you know, the meat piece? You know, I was like, no, this is, this is a pecan. And so they learned something yesterday too. But you know, here's the thing with this pecan. It's not very edible this way. So you got to crack the nut. And when you crack the nut, eventually you'll get to the meat. And inside that, you guys can eat pecans while we have church today. You see, the truth as we sit in the presence of God, as we take the Word of God out and we read it, it begins to unfold. So what we know today isn't the truth that we will know tomorrow if we continue to push into it. And we have to understand that we only know part of the truth. And there's so much more that God wants us to know, that there's this husk, and we peel that back, and then there's this, this hard shell, and we can... Get through that, and there's even more truth. And the thing is with God is you will never, ever fully understand and know all the truth because we're just not capable. And so we have to pursue truth. We have to pursue it with all that we are. Belief, on the other hand, is very different. Belief is personal. It's trusting. A statement without necessarily demanding proof. 
Belief may or may not be true, and when it can change, because it can change with time. You see, so America, many people in America have built their truth on belief. I can believe all day long that my pickup truck is a NASCAR vehicle. And you can't tell me any differently. I believe it. And you can say, well, you can believe whatever you want, but to me it's a pickup truck. Well, I don't care. To me it's a NASCAR. You see the problem with belief? Everybody has one. But what is it built upon? What are your beliefs built upon? Are they built upon the truth of God's word? Or are they like the ship on the sea that's being tossed to and fro by the waves and the wind and by the most interesting or the most acceptable belief that our culture would tell us is okay? The church has to stand on the truth of who Jesus Christ is and on the word of God. And anything else is a belief and it will not stand the test of time. The truth is so critical. One of my pastor friends in Lake Placid, Joe DeHart, I get his newsletter, and as I was reading it, he said these words about truth. People believe what they want to believe. We are obliged to construct our belief system very carefully, lest we believe wrong things. The things we choose to believe affect all areas of our life in positive or negative ways. And many things we believe have an eternal price tag of death or life. So regardless of the fact that if statistically we align with the rest of this country, that seven out of ten people sitting in this room believe that all people get to go to heaven, I'm going to tell you that's a lie of the enemy. You can believe that, but it'll send you to hell. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. It is only through Jesus Christ that we find forgiveness of our sin. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can have eternal life. It doesn't matter what you believe. What does God's word say? How do we know that we reflect the image of of God and that we're a Christ follower? Well, when we obey his teachings. You see the scripture here in John, it says that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know what? The truth. And what will the truth do? It will set you free. And there's nothing better than being free. I'll tell you right now, I am not bound. I am not bound to the fears of a COVID. I'm not going to be stupid. But I'm not going to live my life worrying about this world. I saw a a flag on the back of a NASCAR, I'm sorry, a truck coming in today. (laughs) See? I almost forgot what I believed. And it had Save America written on it and a particular candidate for the next election. And I said, oh, thank God that I'm not dependent on any person or politician to save me or to save our country. It can't. 
You see, the truth is, Jesus Christ is the one who saves. And those who know him and follow his teachings, you will be set free. It doesn't mean that we don't live in a world full of bondage. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that we don't get sick. But it means that we have eternal life. And we have a God who is with us and will see us through the mess of this world. But you got to believe and know the truth. Or otherwise, you're going to be all bound up inside. Otherwise, your theology is going to be all messed up. Your theology is going to be that, that I get to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Why would God send somebody to, to hell if he's a loving God? God never sends anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. You see why the truth is so important for our world today? You understand why it's so critical? You understand the scripture in Hebrews 4.12? For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing the soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, we need the word of God to crack the husk so we can get to the pecan nut, and eventually to crack the pecan nut so that we can get to the meat. But we have to pursue it. We have to chase it. We have to sit with him. We have to read God's word. If you have the truth and you don't live in it, if you don't understand it, and if you don't know it, how in the world will you ever know what's true or what isn't true? We'll find this statistic. There was a statistic, and it's not a great one. I'm a statistic guy. I, I like um, statistics because they, they reflect things. Well, maybe you'll get it. Maybe Here it is. So here's the Bible reading habits of Americans. The Bible reading habits of America. Now, this was done by the Barna Group. Very, very respected, fantastic, trusted group. They survey, and they survey. And this is a recent survey. This is a survey done in 2020. The Bible reading habits of Americans. 3% read the Bible four or more times a week. Three out of 100 we have the truth, but we don't know the truth because we don't read the truth. But boy, we read the paper, and boy, we watch the news. And if you're allows, allowing the media to influence your beliefs, then you're way off. Now, I read the newspaper. I watch the news. But my truth isn't based on what they're saying. It's going to go through the filter of God's truth and who he is. 3% four times or more a week. 10% several times a week. That doesn't really make sense to me, but four is several. But anyway, several times a week. 9% once a week. Eleven percent once a year. Another eleven percent never. So we have the truth. We have the Word of God. And it sits and collects dust. Or we never download the app onto our phone. You see, you have to make the Word of God, the truth, an everyday present influence in your life if you want to walk in the truth. And if you want to be set free by the truth, you got to know the truth. How do you know the truth? It's not by getting a 30-minute sermon a week. 
by sitting in the presence of God. And you must be so weary of hearing that. But I, I have to tell you, you're going to keep hearing it because it is so critical. We just cannot be consumers. There's so much more that God has for us. So that's the first word, truth. Aren't you glad I told you that I was spend most of my time on it? Which means that we're going to spend less time on love. I don't need to spend a lot of time on love, although we could. There's so many scriptures about love. But this is one of the scriptures that I, I really like about love because it's tied to God's commands. Tell I'm a little rusty, can't you? There it is. This is love for God. So if we're going to start love, how do you love God? By keeping His commands. And by the way, they're not burdensome. Why do we feel like they're burdensome? Well, the truth is going to set you free. It's not going to bind you. And when you go back to truth, and then you start talking about love, Truth can be a hammer that we beat somebody down with. Or truth can be a compass that points someone to being set free. All depends on how we use the truth. We're going to talk more about that. But, but if you're a follower of Christ, if you're going to follow His commands, then you are a follower of Christ. You can say, I'm a Christ follower, but if you're not following His commands, I hate to tell you this, but somewhere along the line, you got off the road. Somewhere along the line, you pulled into a rest area and the world's passing you by. You see, it's an active, ongoing pursuit of one who created us, of one who loves us. And if we really love him, then the scripture says that, that we will follow his commands. Scripture says about love that whoever does, not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You can't know God and not love. But again, this reflection of truth and this reflection of love get distorted as we live in this world. And so we have to go to the very foundation of what love is, and, and love is this. There's no greater love than any man has, that he would, but that he would lay down their life for another. That's the greatest love. I don't think we fully comprehend that. And I don't know that we live in that kind of a love. Because quite honestly, there are those that I would quickly lay my life down for and others that I would think about it while they're dying. Yeah, do I really? No, do I really want to make that sacrifice? Give my life for theirs? Yet for God so loved you, for God so loved me, that He gave His one and only Son. I can tell you that one of the things I would die for is one of my kids. Because I love them so deeply. But God loved us so much more that He said, I'm going to give you my Son, and whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That's love. And then we're told throughout the Scripture, and we, we know these, that's why I won't spend a ton of time talking about love, but what is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And likewise, love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's the great command. That's what we're told. This is what you have to do. If you want to reflect the image of God, you have to love. 
If you do not love, the scripture says, then you do not know God. What image are we reflecting? What is it that we're, we're showing? And if you need to know more about love, go to 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. And in that, you'll get the description of love. What love is, what it isn't. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's never jealous. It's never envious. It doesn't boast. I learned that in seventh grade in the building next door by my English teacher, Paul Stump. I'm so glad that as a, as a youngster, I was in a Christian school where he made us memorize the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And I was not happy. It was the last day when I finally quoted it because I'm a procrastinator. I would rather go fishing than I had memorized Scripture. But oh, when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to my memory of what love is. And oh man, so many times I fall so short of what love is. That's why it's good to always run who we are through the truth because we learn in that that we haven't arrived, that there's so much more that we need to know. There's so much love, so much more that we need to do. And so here we go, all right? In our last few minutes here. I think this has been good knowledge. I think it's good. Truth and love. I think most of you already knew that. So what do we do with it? How do we practically apply truth and love into our life? Well, I want to tell you this. I, I was... I was um, on the phone with a pastor friend that I've known for, gosh, 30 years now. And um, we were talking and we had, done a, we had done a training together in Texas a few years ago. And he's older than I am. So, you know, when you get together and you're older, you, you start talking. You talk about yesterday, you know, in the good old days. And, and then you talk about the weather and then you talk about, you know, how many times you're going to the doctor. And so... Um, that was the conversation. He started, he started reminiscing, talking about, remember when we were in Texas? He says, you remember we, I was teaching and I, and I said these words. I said the words that truth without love is brutality. And I confessed, said, no, I don't remember. I said, but that's, it's true. Truth without love is brutal. He says, and when I said that, one of the pastors in the train said, yeah, but did you know that love without truth is hypocrisy? And I haven't shaken that since he said it. Oh, my word. What does that say to, to me as one who wants to love God and, and love others? That if I give truth without love, it's brutal. That's the hammer. But if I love somebody and I don't give them truth, I'm a hypocrite. Woo. We live in a world where, only, where people only want to be loved and accepted. They don't want to know what the truth is unless it aligns with their truth. And I want to tell you the way I see truth being reflected, or let me go back, the way I see beliefs being reflected in this world, it has no love around it. And you can take whichever side of that you want. 
I can watch CNN and see it. I can watch Fox and see it. It's brutal. Constantly hammering one side or the other and going back and forth. You see, that's what truth looks like in a world. It's brutal. But when you bring the love of God into it, everything changes. But love without truth is hypocrisy. We're hypocritical. If we know the truth and all we do is love people, well, I'm just going to love you. God loves you. God bless you. I'll pray for you. I've said that 10,000 times in my life, oftentimes needing to have spoken a word of truth in love. But a large percentage of Christians, and I don't remember the statistic, but I remember reading it, a large percentage of, of, of Christians do not want to impose the truth in fear that they might offend somebody. Listen, I'm not worried so much about whether I would offend somebody as I am about being a hypocrite. Now, I sat in that, I sat in that word, that phrase, but you actually look at it. I sat in that for three or four weeks, just thinking about it, asking God about it. And I said, God, what is truth with love? That was my question. I sat for days upon days. In fact, it was weeks asking the question of the Lord. Okay, I do believe that my belief is that this statement is true, that truth without love is brutal and that love without, without truth is hypocrisy. But what is, what, is it, what is it, Lord, when we share truth and we do it in love? And last Sunday morning, Pastor Michael answered, when you love people and give them the truth, you reflect the image of Jesus Christ. He made me wait for that sermon. I was like, what is it? That's what it is. That's when we are living like Jesus. That's when people see Jesus in us. That's when the whole world changes because we're living differently. So how we reflect truth and love is critical. How we reflect it is critical. And so as we kind of wrap it up, I need more handles in my life. And I think most people do. So we can walk out of here with the understanding, okay, I can reflect truth in love and people will see Jesus. Okay. And then tomorrow morning you wake up and you're in a traffic jam and you're trying not to run over bikers and you go into the office and the person at the desk next to you has a sour attitude or they're talking about their wild weekend or, or the neighbor is throwing their trash over the fence into your yard. You got all this stuff going on and we're saying, how do I love in truth? Don't throw your garbage over the fence anymore. I love you. <laughs> and then I was reminded of the story of the woman at the well. Now, I think it's important that, that we put the asterisk here. This is Jesus. Jesus did it really good. He set the example. We have to work at it. So Jesus is at the woman. He's with the woman and he's at the well. So the first thing I want you to understand, when you're, when you're going to display truth with love, that the setting matters. The setting matters. 
This woman went to the well in the middle of the day, in the, in the, the heat of the day, to get water because she did not want to be seen. Didn't want anybody else to see her because she was living in shame. We've heard some sermons on that, right? She was living in shame because her life was a mess. Just so happened that Jesus sent the disciples off to get some food. You see, the setting mattered. Jesus wanted to meet with this woman, but He didn't want the disciples around. The setting mattered. And so in our discernment, in our prayer, the only way that we can really show truth in love, first of all, you're not, it's not your job to show truth and love to the world. Alright? So don't go on Facebook and post the truth. Or Twitter. Twitter, whatever they call that thing. Or Snapchat. I don't know. There's all these, all these social medias. That, you know where we should reflect the truth in love? is with those people God has put around us. And you know how we have to do it? We have to do it with a heart and a mind that's been praying and seeking and asking God for deliverance. Not for deliverance, but asking. We need deliverance. But asking God for, for discernment. When's the right time? Because timing is critical. And so the setting can make or break the moment of truth. A couple years ago, I shared this actually in sermons, a couple different sermons, that the Lord had convicted me that I was missing the moments that He was putting around me. I said, the moments? I'm looking, listen, I don't have time to deal with minutes. I'm, I'm, I want to deal with the big, the big, the big day. What is, what is it that I'm doing today that's big? And what God showed me when I put someone in front of you just for a minute, that you may have an opportunity to speak into their life. And so I would deal with people that come into my life and the business world and I'm all about the business. And the Lord's like, really? That's hypocritical. I love them and I show love. Where's the truth? Don't miss the moments that He has for us. Truth without love is brutal. Here's a great example of what that looks like. So years ago when we first... We left Whitechapel and went into the full-time ministry, went to North Carolina, and we were passing a little church there, and the church started growing, and we added Sunday school classes and Sunday school teachers, and I went to a board meeting, and the board looked at me, and the board were all the old-timers. They were good people. They looked at me and said, we got a problem in the church. I said, well, what's that? We got a lot of them, but you guys aren't aware of most of them, but go ahead, tell me what you see. We have Sunday school teachers who smoke. Did you know that? I said, yeah, I knew that. Well... We don't believe that we should have any Sunday school teachers that smoke. I said, well, then you're not going to have a Sunday school class. <laughs> because these are new believers. But they saw that as this big issue, and I'm not here to condone or condemn. Listen, overeating is as bad as smoking, so let's don't go there, all right? Ooh, I went there. <laughs> we pick on certain things, okay? But in this moment, you know what? I could have gone and said, you know what? It's not a good image for our little kids to see you outside of church smoking. And I, and I did believe that. I could have gone to them and said, you know, smoking's really bad for your health. The Surgeon General has told us that. It's written right in real small print, so you need to read that every time you pull. I could have gone and done all that. But you know what that is? That's truth, but it's brutal. Would have set them back, probably pushed them out of the, out of the opportunity of growing in their faith in a church setting. So as we prayed about it and we thought about it, guess, guess what? It was my associate that, that came up with. He says, 
I'm going to start a support group. And we're going to call it Nick No More. Isn't that clever? And guess what? Lots of people came. You know, North Carolina even names their cities after cigarettes. You know, you got Winston, you got Salem, you got, you know, it's, it's just part of life. But you know, they knew that it wasn't good for them. They didn't like it. Oh, you're going to help us? Do you see, that's truth and love. How can we walk with you where you are and not beat you up and tell you what's wrong with you? The setting matters, and how we go about that matters. I'm, I'm getting off. The second one is the setting matters, but you have to understand before seeking to be understood. I had a couple that was coming to see me back in another ministry that we were serving at. And I knew they were coming to see me and that I was going to have to address the fact that they had had a child out of wedlock. I just knew that's what they were coming to talk to me about. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but if your kid is two years older than you've been married, then... But as I sat and listened and began to understand, and they said, oh, we adopted them two years ago. You see, we can't expect people to understand what we know when we don't even understand who they are. You've got to be with people. You've got to get to know the people. It's not your job to change the world, but it is your job to to change and to speak love and truth into those that God has put around you. But the timing matters and make sure you know them because people don't care what you know until what? They care. They know that you care. And so saving the world and living truth in love is not this big grand event, this large gathering. It's the moments. That we're together, one-on-one. The moments that the person that you've been burdened for and praying for, you have a moment with them, and you say, you know what, I want to make sure I understand them more. Because the more I understand them, the more I can help them understand God's truth, where they live. So the setting matters. Making sure that you're understood. And that's what Jesus did, isn't it? When he was with the woman at the well. In fact, he got her talking. If you ever want an icebreaker, just ask somebody to tell you their story and then brace yourself. Because we all like to talk about ourselves. We all want to tell our story. She tells her story. Jesus understood the woman at the well before the woman at the well understood who Jesus was. I've had many husbands. I've had five. That's why I come get my water. When I do, Jesus said, I know. And then he said this, and this is the third one. He added a little salt to the conversation. He added salt to the conversation. You see, that's the truth coming out in love in the conversation. It's salt. If you pour a whole shaker of salt on your food, it's not edible. Season it just right. And Jesus says to the woman at the well, woman, if you knew who I was, you would have water, living water, and you'd never thirst again. Ooh, salt. What? How can that be, sir? 
And then Jesus began to give her the truth. When she was ready, you see, she asked the question. Put a little salt. It may be the second conversation, the third conversation, the 30th conversation. But you keep giving the salt. And so as we would leave this place today, we need to understand that truth without love is brutal. That love without truth is hypocrisy. But truth in love reflects the image of Jesus Christ. And we do it by sitting in the presence of Christ. Praying for and asking God to help us not miss the moment. Get the setting right. Make sure we understand those that he's placed around us. And then we sprinkle in the truth. Jesus did it well. That's what I'm saying. Don't compare yourself to Jesus, but we can do it because that same Jesus sent his spirit. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.